We are going to be learning from 1 Samuel 24, 1 through 10 this morning. When Saul returned from following the Philistines, he was told, Behold, David is in the wilderness of Engedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of the wild goat's rocks. And he came to the sheepfolds by the way where there was a cave, and Saul went in to relieve himself. Now David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave. And the men of David said to him, Here's the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it shall seem good to you. Then David arose and stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe. And afterward, David's heart struck him, because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe. He said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. So David persuaded his men and with these words and did not permit them to attack Saul. And Saul rose up and left the cave and went on his way. Afterward, David also arose and went out of the cave and called after Saul, My Lord the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David bowed with his face to the earth and paid homage. And David said to Saul, Why do you listen to the words of men who say, Behold, David seeks your harm? Behold, this day your eyes have seen how the Lord gave you today into my hand in the cave. And some told me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not put out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. Good morning. I am, uh, I'm really excited this morning to, to get to what I think God has for us uh, this morning. Uh, before we do, let's, uh, let's pray again. God, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for this opportunity that we have to gather together to hear your word. Father, I thank you for the, the story and life of David and the life in chaos that he lived. Father, and I pray that you would... Um, connect our hearts with that life in chaos and see in our chaotic worlds an opportunity for us to uh, emulate David, especially in this story this morning, God. Um, I pray that you would cause us to see you rightly. I pray that that vision of you seeing you rightly would move us from fear to trust in the middle of this chaotic life, God, and Lord, I know that there's so many here that come in, in different, um, different paths to get here. Um, life is presently chaotic or just got finished with a season of chaos or are about to enter a season of chaos. And the different visions and, and opportunities you have for us to see you rightly in the midst of chaos will bring such beauty into our lives as we follow you there. God, I thank you so much for Jesus, and it's in his perfect name that I pray. Amen. <clears throat> so uh, this morning, we're, we're continuing in our, our series, Life in Chaos, Studying the Life of, of David, and this is a really cool story, and, and we'll get to, to more about the, not just the, the 10 verses that Kelly just read, but, but more to it at the end of it, and David and Saul's response to that. But I want to kind of put this, this big picture over us, that I believe God is moving us God wants to move us from fear to trust as we engage and encounter this life in chaos. And for David, I, we, we can't really connect with, with David. Nobody is, is like the most powerful man in our world is not actively trying to kill us, as 
Saul is to David here. But nonetheless, there is some, some chaos that's happening in our world. And I, I think the fallen condition in us when someone seeks to do us harm or we're living in chaos, the fallen condition in us wants to try to take upon ourselves the mission of God to, to change our circumstances. And I don't believe that's what God has for us. Um, so I want to bring out three points from this, this morning. First is this one, a proper response to a life in chaos is to see the Lord rightly. Um, throughout David's life, he sees the Lord's Lord rightly, and he makes mistakes. And I've, I've said this many times throughout this series, we haven't gotten to the chronological order of this yet, where David in, engages with Bathsheba, and, and he has Uriah, her husband, married, and, and that story. We haven't gotten to that yet, so David hasn't created, hasn't done this great big sin yet, but David has sinned along the course. And I think the difference for David in seeing God rightly is when he does engage in sin, when he does fail, when he, and he will fail greatly and has failed greatly, but he understands that the, the Lord is after his repentance and not his perfection. And I want, I want to say that to you. I want you to hear me say that to you today. I want to look you in the eye this morning and, and say, God is not after your perfection. He's after a repentant heart from you. That's, that's really important. As we engage a life in chaos, and, and all right, so I, I think this is kind of our typical responses to chaos. One, we engage it and, and we want to get ourselves out of it. And we want to pull up our bootstraps and, and work hard to, to fix this chaotic life. And that's, that's anti-gospel. Then the second thing, we begin to, to kind of impose the question why upon God. Like, why did you do this to me? Why are you doing this to me? And it's, it's from a, a, a place of honesty, but also probably from a place of, of anger. Like, like, we're mad at God for doing this to us. But I think David's response to see God rightly isn't either one of those two. It's, it's to engage who he is and allow that seeing rightly of God to change the way that he behaves. And that's the, the heart of, of what David does here. Um, there's a, a pastor friend of mine who tweeted this this week. Uh, it's, it's beautiful, and it goes right into what, what I think God has to say to us this morning. Bob Bickford, pastor of the church in Webster Groves, he says this, Your circumstances are perfectly suited to increase your faith and decrease your fear so that you will grow in your trust and obedience of God. Well, you know, just let that sit on you for a second. Your circumstances are perfectly suited. The chaos that's in your life is perfectly there, perfectly there, to move you from fear to trust. Your chaotic life, the hardship, the, the, the dysfunction that's around you is perfectly suited to take you from fear to trust. I said this I think it was last week, might have been a couple of weeks ago, that I, I, I preached a, a funeral for a great aunt of mine. And there were 250 or so people in, in the audience, and more than half of them were cousins of some kind to me. And, and I know the, the stories, and, and there's some dysfunction that's in their families, and so it's, 
my great aunt who died was one of 12 brothers and sisters, and then they had lots of kids, and so there's this huge family. And you get to kind of hear, like through Facebook, through family reunions, through conversations that, hey, this family is having some trouble here. This family, and there's just some dysfunction that's around us. And I understand, like, our lives, that there's, like, most of the time, or a lot of the time, the chaos that we find ourselves in is derived from, like, family dysfunction that we had done to us and also that we participated in, right? So there's this chaotic life that's around us that's part of this dysfunction. And, and I want to, like, we can delve ourselves into that. And you can maybe even think of, of circumstances where dysfunction caused chaos in your life. Family dysfunction caused chaos in your life. Or something else caused chaos in your life. But I, I, I want to remove ourselves from diving deeply into the, the heart of that chaos and, and see the heart of, of, of what Bickford says here and the heart of what I think God is saying to us is that God is perfectly designing those things to get our minds off of ourselves and on to him. Don't trust in yourself, trust in the Lord. And this is the picture of David. Because, All right, so let's get back into our story. David is literally hiding in a cave because the most powerful man in his world wants to kill him. Think about, think about that. Like someone who has power, authority, opportunity, and strength to kill you is chasing you and has been for years. And he wants to kill you. And you find yourself hiding in a cave from this guy. This is David's life in chaos. Um, Second point I want to say is David's actions are guided by seeing the Lord. Um, I've said about the gospel before is that we don't behave rightly to gain God's acceptance. It's God's acceptance that causes us to behave rightly. And that's the heart of, of what this point here is making. David's actions are guided by him understanding the gospel, him seeing the Lord rightly. So David acts in such a way because he's been fully accepted and fully understands his relationship with God. I want to back up just a second to last week's sermon. Last week's sermon was about David finding out that Saul had killed 85 priests and then a bunch of women and children. That's what we talked about last week. Previously in 1 Samuel, um, Saul has 85 priests and a bunch of women and children killed. And Psalm 52 is David's poetic response to that. So this massive evil, like this is a terrorist act that happened. This is huge on the scale of magnitude what happened for what Saul did to these people. And David has this response. Um, First, he sees the evil that's present. Um, Verse 1 of Psalm 52. Why do you boast of evil, O mighty man? The steadfast love of God endures all the day. Your tongue plots destruction like a sharp razor, you worker of deceit. That's harsh language, right? Verse 3. You love evil more than good and lying more than speaking what is right. You love all words that devour, O deceitful tongue. I want to back up and just say this. I think one of the problems with the church, one of the the biggest problems with Christians today that the non-Christian culture has with us is we tend to ignore evil that's present in our world. 
oh man, that really bad thing happened, but let's pay attention to something else so that we don't have to deal with the reality that evil is here. David isn't, isn't doing that. And, and this psalm, by the way, like almost every single thing that David wrote that we recorded as psalms were written for one, for David to, to let this worship out of his heart and, and be to God. But secondly, it was to be used by the church to engage in worship of him. So David is, is chosen by God to lead the church in worship, and he starts out this by fully engaging. This was an evil act done by evil men. And so, so don't ignore the evil that's present and the, the reality that's present in our world. Don't, don't ignore that chaos, because if God is really orchestrating chaos to bring us to a place to move us from fear to trust in him, it would do us well. We're served well by engaging the chaos, engaging the darkness. Um, but the next three verses of Psalm 52 show that God is in charge. But God will break you down forever. He will snatch and tear you from your tent. He will uproot you from the land of the living. And that word selah there, by the way, just means to stop and, and consider what you just read. It's a deep point, David is saying. Verse 6, the righteous shall fear and shall laugh at him, saying, See the man who would not make God his refuge, but trusted in the abundance of his riches and sought refuge in his own destruction. God is in control of your chaos. Let that to sit on you for a second. God is in control of your chaos. And again, this is not written by some guy who had something little happen to him. 85 people had just been murdered, and that's 85 priests had just been murdered. And lots of women and children had just been murdered. And this is David's response. God, I trust that you have a plan here. God, I trust that you are in control here. And God, I trust that vengeance will be yours, not mine. I trust that you will bring about redemption out of this evil act. Man, that doesn't that bring you hope in this evil world? It brings me hope in this evil world. Then, verse 8, David turns this vision onto himself, but I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. Uh, by the way, I learned this about olive trees. Olive trees last like thousands and thousands of years. Scholars believe that when, David, or when Jesus went to go pray in the Garden of Gethsemane, the, the olive trees that, that Jesus prayed near, are, we could go, go there today. What's interesting about that is, is, well, one is interesting that that still exists, but what's interesting about this verse talking about olive tree is, is the longevity of the olive tree is what David compares himself to in relation to his relationship with the Lord. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that incredible? But I'm like a green olive tree in the house of God. I'll stay there. I'll be there. My roots are deep. God will provide for me. I will trust in the steadfast love of God forever and ever. I will thank you forever because you have done it. I will wait for your name, for it is good in the presence of the godly. Remember what is to come for this guy. Great, incredible things for the kingdom to become for this guy, and great, incredible sin, 
awful, grotesque, adultery, murderous, this is who this guy is. And he's still saying these things. Do you see the the permission to engage your chaos? I think it's incredible here. Uh, Let's go back to to 1 Samuel. I want to read verse 10 of 1 Samuel 24 because I think it's it's really the hinge of of this point here that um, David's actions are guided by having seen the Lord rightly. Verse 10, it says, uh, Behold, this day, this is David talking to Saul. Behold, David, your, behold this day, your eyes have seen how the Lord gave you in today into my hand in the cave. And some told me to kill you, but I spared you. I want to back up for a second and, and say this. So David's men, the people around him, actually quoted scripture to David saying, this is your chance, man. God said he was going to deliver your enemy to your hand. This is it. Kill him. So friends around David misquoting scripture to him, but he sees the Lord rightly so he doesn't. And pressure around David to do evil, he doesn't do it. Um, keep going in verse 10. Behold this day, the eyes have seen how the Lord gave your hand in, gave you into my hand in the cave. And some told me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not put my hand against my Lord, lowercase l, Lord. He's talking about Saul. For he is the Lord's, all caps, God. He is the Lord's anointed. And I, I, like, this is a fairly innocuous phrase to end verse 10, but it's massively important. David sees Saul as God's anointed. And if David sees Saul as God's anointed, he can't do anything to him. Let's let's talk about this word anointed. Um, We translate it other times in Scripture as Messiah. Like when in the Old Testament, when Jesus was pointed to as the coming anointed of God to come and save and redeem all of mankind, they use this word that David uses for Saul. So he compares Christ and Saul in this moment, not in their actions or who they are or the essence of Christ and Saul. That's not the comparison. The comparison is God intended for this guy to have this position in this place in this time. And any act that I have towards thwarting that power is direct rebellion against God. And David believed that so much that he didn't harm someone whose major, like, the number one priority list on David or in Saul's to-do list is to kill David. That's, nothing else is more pressing to Saul than to kill David. And David is given an opportunity to do it, but he doesn't. Why? Because David sees the Lord rightly and thus sees Saul rightly. This is the one that God has chosen to lead these people at this time. And if I act against him, I am taking the chaos of my life into my hands and I'm going to try and solve my dilemma. But he doesn't do it because he sees the Lord rightly. Do you see the gospel all over that? It's 
so important for us as we engage in a life of chaos? Do you trust your own ability to get out of it? Or do you trust God's sovereignty to pull you out of it in his time to teach you what he intends to teach you? There's dysfunction and brokenness and and racism and evil and, and Republican versus Democrat. There's so much screaming into our ears about this is what you need to do. But God is orchestrating all of these events to move you from fear to trust. I got this. Do you believe it in such a way that you would not harm the enemy that's sworn to kill you? This is massive for us. The last thing is, verse, or the, the third thing is, David's mission was fueled by seeing the Lord rightly. David's mission was fueled by seeing the Lord rightly. First, seeing the Lord rightly allowed David not to be a hypocrite. What do you mean? Seeing the Lord rightly allowed David to not be a hypocrite. Do you know, let me say something in light of that. One of the things that the culture has the biggest problem with the church about is hypocrisy. I don't want to go to church because there's nothing but hypocrites that are at the church. And seeing God rightly allowed David to not be a hypocrite. Do you see? Go back to the verse to, to Psalm 52 and what he said about Saul. Your tongue plots destruction like a sharp razor, you worker of deceit, you love evil. This is the accusation that David made against Saul because Saul killed the priests, i.e. Saul killed God's anointed. If David had killed Saul, he would have done the exact same thing just to a lesser degree that Saul just did that he got all bent out of shape about, that we see as plain evil. But because David sees the Lord rightly and understands that God has placed Saul in this position for a purpose, and that purpose is to bring about change in, in David's own heart, he trusts in that more than he trusts in himself. He trusts in that more than he trusts in people telling him what to do to kill this guy because he doesn't want to be a hypocrite. Seeing God rightly causes us to not be hypocrites. Second thing, seeing the Lord rightly caused repentance in Saul. Look at verse 17 and see Saul's response here. And remember, just days ago, Saul had ordered the killing of hundreds of people, priests and kids and and women, He said to David, you are more righteous than I, for you have repaid me good, whereas I have repaid you evil. Do we, I want you to know this. There are people that are paying attention to who you are and how you act and how you respond and how you you live in this world. And it has what you do and what you don't do and how you see God predicting what you do and what you don't do has a a massive impact on what those people think about God. Like you're God's messenger here in this earth on this planet. And look at the what happened to Saul, a really simple act from David. I didn't kill you because you're God's anointed, because I understand that God is 
ways are bigger than my ways and you are more important than that, even if you still want to kill me. That's the, the thing that I haven't said yet that it's striking to me. David's hiding in a cave so Saul won't kill him, but then David comes right up to him. Now the secret's out. Saul knows exactly where David is. You, here, kill this guy. Could have happened. But the response of Saul is one of repentance. I am evil. You are good. Show me the way to good. Like it's, God has called you to a time and a place and a, and a season for a purpose. And that purpose is to bring attention to him. And here, David has, has acted because he sees God rightly. And the response of Saul is repentance. That's incredible because Saul is an evil man. Like, who are the evil men in our universe today, in our world today? Somebody living their life on mission changed a heart in an instant. That's powerful. It's really powerful. Then the last thing here about David's mission was fueled by seeing the Lord rightly is this. Seeing the Lord rightly caused Saul to let go of his idol. All of this evil that Saul has been doing is to protect the fact that he wanted to remain on the throne, the literal throne and the proverbial throne. The literal throne meaning the king of the nation. He wanted to remain on the throne because the word was out that David was going to be king, and so he's trying to kill David so he can't become king. So he's fighting to hang on to this idol that he's got, this power and authority idol, but also this proverbial idol. God, I don't want you to tell me what to do. And so I'm going to kill those who you've set as your anointed. Look at verse 20 and see Saul letting go of his idol. And now, behold, I know that you shall surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. And now behold that I know you shall surely be king. In other words, I'm not going to be king anymore. I'm fully aware of it and I'm okay with it. So this is a... This is... This idea, this notion here that seeing the Lord rightly caused Saul to let go of his idol. As a, as a dad... And as a husband and as a pastor, this one freaks me out. Because I'm, I'm the husband to a wonderful woman who has idols in her heart. I'm the pastor to you wonderful people who have idols in your heart. And I'm the parent to children who have idols in their heart. And it breaks me to know that. But it gives me great courage to see that knowing and seeing God rightly, understanding the fullness of the gospel, and then allowing that knowledge to change the way that I behave can break idols. That's massive. If you're a dad here, that's so big. Do you know that your kids are going to value the same stuff that you value? They're going to cling to the idols that you cling to. But the gospel shatters that. 
anyone that's, that's under you, that, that, ha- that you have any sort of authority over. Seeing God rightly shatters their idols. Like, be passionate about it. It's incredible. I want to I close with this idea. What does it really mean to see the Lord rightly? What does it really mean to see the Lord rightly? What it means to see the Lord rightly is that the Lord is sovereign. There's nothing on this planet that's outside of his control. But there's evil that's present in this world that he allows to happen for a purpose, to bring your mind and attention to him as the redeemer. He is sovereign and he is redeemer. All of the broken and evil that's in this world, God's going to fix it. All the evil and awfulness that's inside of your heart that's broken, God's going to fix it. He's going to redeem it. This is what it means to see the Lord rightly. He is sovereign and he is redeemer. Man, I wish that we could see all the beautiful stories that come flooding into our brains of, of God's redeeming power to take a seemingly hopeless situation and bring about wonder and beauty and majesty and glory to him. This is who he is. This is what it means to see the Lord rightly. So I pray this week and then this moment and in the middle of our chaos that we would see the Lord rightly as sovereign and redeemer and not our chaos. Look back at that that moment in David's mind in the cave. It's dark. He's got full opportunity to kill this guy. And what is it that causes him to not do that? He understands that the Lord is sovereign and the Lord is redeemer. And he's going to protect and provide for his anointed. It's incredible and it's beautiful. And my hope now is that we would train wreck into this visualization of the cross, the Lord, sovereign and redeemer, in the midst of the, the most evil act this world has ever known. His sovereignty and his redemptive power on full display for you in such a way that can change who we are and what we do and shatter our idols and shatter idols of those around us and send us on mission. This is the cross. This is what God is showing to us all this morning. Let's pray and engage with that notion. You are a beautiful and amazing God. God, I thank you for the story of David, and I thank you that he did not kill Saul there. God, I I pray that you would make us comfortable in our chaos, comfortable enough to follow you. God, I pray for strength and courage to be as Saul was or as David was in the middle of this chaos. And God, I pray that all of these words and all these thoughts and all these songs that we sang this morning would center our hearts and our minds and our attention around the cross where the evil and chaos of this world was at its height but your sovereignty and your redemption were also at its height and were victorious over evil and chaos. 
God, teach that to the depth of our souls. Cause us to see you rightly and then allow that to change the way that we behave in this world. God, I pray that I would not be flippant with this, but God, thank you for Jesus. God, thank you for Jesus. It's by the power of his beautiful name that I pray. Amen.